Good morning, everyone. I would echo what DK said. The conference that uh, we had the privilege of being at was incredibly inspiring, rejuvenating, refreshing, um, more than the words of the Holy Spirit. It was so beautiful. Uh, in the worship times, um, in, in the, the session times, it was just it was incredible to see the Holy Spirit moving and to have him speaking to our hearts. Um, one of the things that I've often prayed in the last four years is that God would give us a specific word, whatever Jesus would say. If he would just walk in through the back door here today, walk up front here and just speak to us as a church, what would he say to us? What would, what would be the specific word that he has for us? I want to hear that. I want to know what that is. Even if it's rebuke and chastening and correction, I want to hear it. I want to know what he wants to say to us. And so it's so challenging just to remember that Jesus said, it's better for me to leave and for me to send the Holy Spirit because he does just that. He teaches us everything that we need to know how we need to live. He brings correction into our lives. He brings encouragement when we're discouraged or down. This morning, I hope that as I share the Word of God, it can be just that, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, to our hearts, just exactly what we need today. Um, I, I, don't want, I don't want you to feel like it's me preaching at you, because it's not. Uh, you, you might feel, as we walk through some of this today, like, I'm thinking about your situation. I'm not. But the Holy Spirit is. He's thinking specifically about walking through. And he's meeting our need right at that point. So we're going to chapter 12. Uh, the book of Hebrews is, is a book that uh, is focused on bringing us to diligence, awareness. It warns us against neglect and presumption. Presumption that we are recipients of the grace of God. It, we're warned in chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay closer attention to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, talking about the law and how it was given to the, to the people of Israel, how shall, we neglect, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Speaking of, of the grace that came through Jesus Christ, it's not just automatically applied to our life. It takes diligence and awareness and frequent reminders. Who was it that said, I wake up practically every morning an unbeliever? We need to be reminded of the grace of God, how it applies specifically to our lives, and, and, and of the, the pitfalls, the potential pitfalls that keep us from accessing the grace of God. There are going to be, and there are, untold thousands of people in hell who thought they were just fine, who thought their sins were covered by the blood of Jesus until they came face to face with God. And they found that in the blindness of their own hearts, they had turned away from the grace of God. And it didn't apply at all to their lives. Or who found that because they had harbored unforgiveness towards someone else, that God brought all of their sins, which they thought had been forgiven, back onto themselves. Thank you, Jamie. So there are pitfalls that we need to be aware of, lest we don't access to the grace of God. 
So he, verse 12 says this. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Is that you today? Are you tired? Or you feel like maybe you're walking through your Christian life with a limp? The Bible says we should make a straight path for our feet so that what, what is lame, what is troubling us in our life, doesn't go further to be put out of joint to where we can't walk at all, so that rather it may be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, but that no one fails to obtain the grace of God so that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no to repent, though he... Let's pray before we go on. God, I just ask that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts today. God, I can't... I can't bring it to our hearts, but your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that today it would go deep into our hearts and that it would divide between light and darkness, between good and evil, between what is pleasing to you and what is displeasing to you. Please just change us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to focus primarily on verse 15. Uh, it's, it's a verse that we're very, con- very familiar with. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. Now, I want to be clear from the start. This root of bitterness may well be referencing more than just anger or unforgiveness. That's usually we speak of it in terms of anger toward, directed toward a person or a group of people. It's probably broader than that, uh, but it does apply very well to the, the bitterness that tends to spring up in our hearts in relationships, specifically, human relationships. So I want to focus primarily on that. It's probably referencing Deuteronomy chapter 29, Israel through Moses. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman, clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot him from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out. From all the tribes of Israel for calamity curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. So here we have someone who has a root in his heart, a root that bears poisonous and bitter fruit. Now when there's something that bears poisonous and bitter fruit, it's likely to affect other people around him. In fact, God said, 
if this happens, I'm going to sweep away moist and dry alike. In other words, it's going to affect everyone. A root of bitterness is that way in our lives. It affects not only ourselves, but the people around us. The other thing I want to say before I go any further is that this message is for me. I have, I've struggled a lot with bitterness. Um, there, I don't want to cry. I don't like to cry when I preach. <clears throat> There's um, a couple of situations, probably between 10, 15 years ago, uh, in fact, that came up in my life where I had terrible difficulty forgiving. And the issues that caused that bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart were not really that big. But the struggle in my heart was massive. And so I just want to say that I'm not speaking to you and, and your situation. I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us individually, to the situations that we've walked through that, that have caused bitterness to spring up in us and that have caused maybe years-long struggles of, of trying to find forgiveness and, and healing. <clears throat> I see bitterness and a lack of forgiveness as probably one of the most damaging sins in the church. Don't you? You can see it. You can see its effects around us. It seems to spread more quickly, more easily than a lot of other sins and, and affect other people, not just ourselves. It destroys relationships, tears down unity in the body of people that Christ died for. It puts up walls, walls of coldness and hostility. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, see to it, put forth diligent effort. Be very aware of this thing because it will sneak up on you. Bitterness is like a natural root that just springs up because of situations that we're in, we face in life. It happens to all of us. Some people are definitely more bitterness than others. Uh, some people seem to have the ability to just let stuff roll off and not think about it again. Others of us tend to harbor things a lot more deeply and, and we are more prone to that root of bit bitterness. But it is something that we should all be aware of in ourselves. It's as natural as the weeds that grow in our garden. And, and where it says that root springs up, it's the, the idea of it germs. It, it may have started very small in our heart. We often don't see it initially. We see it in terms of an incident or of another person rather than in terms of the spiritual reality that's going on in our hearts. See to it that no one fail to obtain the grace of God. And again, I just want to say God's grace doesn't automatically flow to everyone. Jesus died for everyone. But not everyone accesses that grace because not all of us are willing to access it. Not all of us are willing to have the, the clearing in our heart that we need to access the grace of God. So sometimes that flow of grace in our lives is stopped. And we don't know why. We're wondering, why is, why is the Christian life so hard? Why am I feeling so much dryness and discouragement and loneliness when maybe there's something specific that's stopping the flow of the grace of God? Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 14, If 
you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We often focus on the last half of that, that says if you don't forgive, God won't forgive. But you know what? There's a promise there too. If you forgive other people their wrongdoings, God is going to That's an incredible promise. So we can access forgiveness by forgiving, by releasing the wrongdoings of others. The root of bitterness can lie under the surface of our heart for a long time and go unnoticed. Ever met a person that you're like, that person just seems bitter. I don't know what it's about. I don't know where it came from. They just seem bitter. Their life has a bitter flavor. And oftentimes, they're not aware of what's going on. They're not aware of bitterness. It's, it's all justified in our own hearts. We justify what we're feeling, the emotions we feel, the pain we feel, because of the circumstances that brought it about, or the wrongdoings of others. All the while, it's stopping the flow of the grace of God in our lives not allowing us to access His grace and forgiveness. And it's spreading under the surface like rot. And it will continue to spread until it's pulled out. We often don't see ourselves as being bitter when we have a root of bitterness. We see the person that hurt us or the circumstances that were unjust. We often think of it in terms of uh, a sense of um, righteous anger or, or a righteous sense of justice, like we want to see wrongs made right. And this is probably one of the trickiest parts of bitterness is that it's, sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish in our own hearts. This is saying, that was wrong, that needs to be set right. And where that sense of justice becomes internalized and becomes a vengeful spirit. That's where we need the Word of God to come into our hearts and, and discern, to divide between what is right, what, what mirrors the, the justice that God is concerned about, and what is simply of the flesh, that vengeful spirit, that hatred, that unwillingness to forgive. Bitterness is incredibly blinding. That's why in Deuteronomy it says that person who has that root that's bearing poisonous and bitter fruit says, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. In fact, we often don't see it as stubbornness. We just say, I shall be safe. We say, I'm a recipient of the grace of God. And we turn a blind eye to the things that are obstructing the grace of God in our hearts. The root of bitterness springs up, and it says it causes trouble. Many are defiled. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. There we have again that blindness that comes in, being false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
What a stark picture of what jealousy, selfish ambition, bitterness do in our hearts. If we have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. Our judgment in those situations is not the wisdom that comes from above. But it's human judgment. It's human vengeance wanting to see wrongs righted our way. And by it, many are defiled. A lot of times, the people that are affected by bitterness are not necessarily even directly involved in the situation that caused the bitterness to start with. That's the thing about bitterness that makes it particularly tricky, is that it can be something that is completely unrelated to your life. But you look at a friend and at the way he was mistreated, and you take up that, that bitterness for them. I've done that. And it becomes an offense in our And before long, we find that that same root of bitterness is in ourselves, even when we had nothing to do with the situation initially. It can even happen to people who are simply there to help, who are wanting to give a listening ear and help their friend through whatever they're going through. It can start with perfectly good intentions and turn into a deadly disease that brings so much destruction, so much division in the body of Christ. So what are, how do I know if, if I'm bitter? If it's blinding, how do I know if I've been blinded by it? I think one of the things is we see a desire for vengeance against someone. We've already talked about how bitterness often shows itself as, as a desire for justice to be meted out. But it can become something where I just want to see that person who hurt me or who did something wrong set in their place. Romans 12 verse 14 says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own. Don't repay evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And here's what I want us to hear. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take vengeance into your own hand. If there's a situation in which you have been wronged, and maybe the wrongdoing is ongoing, Maybe the person who's hurting you doesn't know that they're hurting you. Maybe maybe they do know that they're hurting you and they don't care. And the wrongdoing is ongoing. But we take that into our own hands and we say, I want this to be set. I want that person to be set in their place. There's a lot of confusion nowadays about the difference between restraint and justice. I'm seeing it in the social justice movements where there's... There is a vengeful spirit that is driving a lot of people who genuinely think they are looking for justice. They want things set right. But what is justice? The law of the land was ordained of God not to bring about justice, but to restrain evil. What's justice for a man who murders someone in cold blood? 
What's the just sentence for that? Does anybody know? Death? Is that enough? Does that fix? Does that fix the wrongdoing? Does that fix the incredible pain and damage that that results from someone losing their dad or their son or their brother? Does that set it right? No. So how about 30 years in prison or 50 years in prison? I just heard about someone who has like, what, thousand-some years in prison in, in Angola, in Louisiana, because of multiple offenses. Is that sufficient? No. That's not justice. Do you know what's justice for that sin and for every other sin against God? Eternal separation from God in hell. That's justice. Listen to this. Every, no matter when it was committed or where in the universe it was committed, will be brought to full justice by God. Either through eternal punishment in hell or through the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Every sin. There is not an exception. Every sin that has been committed or will be committed will be brought to full justice by God. Either through eternity in hell or through the suffering of Jesus on the cross. So when we take that justice, that vengeance into our own hands and we say, but this is what I need to see for justice to serve to that person who did that horrible thing. We're saying, God, we don't trust your justice. We feel like we can do a better job. He absolutely will repay every sin, either through the death of Jesus on the cross or through eternal hell. If the person who committed the sin doesn't receive the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross eternally in hell, if they do receive the forgiveness and redemption of Jesus on the cross, who are we to add to that penalty that Jesus already bore in full? He paid it in full. Do you believe that? So don't confuse what the law of the land is doing with God's justice. They are not the same. The law of the land is there to restrain evil, to keep it from happening again, hopefully, in a very imperfect way. But it's not justice. There's a, there's a story. I was not able to verify this independently. There's a story of a, of a, a Filipino housemaid who stabbed her, um, the, the person she was working for, the man she was working for, 37 times. What would be a just sentence for her? Like how many years in prison would, would do justice to the situation? I don't know. How about this? After she stabbed him, it was found out that she had been repeatedly raped by this man. Now what's justice? Feels entirely different, doesn't it? Now we're like, yeah, he got what he deserved. In sentence because it had, what she did was disproportionate to what had been done to her. I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, if she'd have stabbed him once, they'd have probably left her off. I, 
I don't know. I don't know what justice is, but I do know one thing. I do know that Jesus took all that sin and all the sin that we've committed, the wrongdoings that we are guilty of, he took it all on himself. He took the punishment of it and paid it in full. That's the grace that Hebrews is talking about. That's the grace that God wants to extend to each one of us. That's the level of forgiveness that he wants to give to us. So who are we to withhold it from anyone else? Doesn't that put it into a different light? When we withhold forgiveness from others, it's a mark of being completely out of touch with the massiveness of our own sin and the lavishness of Christ's complete forgiveness toward us. The story that Jesus gave of the servant who owed, what was it, a couple million dollars, who was forgiven completely by his master, and then he turns toward his servant who owes him maybe a couple hundred dollars, and throws him into prison and refuses to forgive him. That's not just a cute illustration. It's, it's a stark reality. The fact that we have been forgiven so much more than we will ever forgive. And you might think your situation is different. It's not. If you think it's different, if you feel it's different, it's because you don't see the awfulness of your own sin. That's where unforgiveness comes in. That's where bitterness takes the massiveness of our own sin that God forgave. Another sign that we might be holding bitterness is when there are lots of mental arguments that go on. How do I know this? First-hand experience. I've spent hundreds of hours arguing with people or having verbal confrontations with them in my mind and setting them in their place and just, just enjoying the win. All of it in my mind. That's a sign of bitterness. And it's so destructive. We win the argument every time. Have you ever lost one of those arguments in your mind? But in the process, we're losing our own soul. Because we're stopping the grace and the forgiveness of God that flows into our lives. You might pretend to have forgiven. You might even have forgiven verbally. But another thing that often kind of gives us away is this, this icy wall that comes up between us and the person hurt us. We're like, I forgive you. I don't hold it against you to avoid meeting that person, to avoid being in a relationship with them. And we often justify that with, you know, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to bring up the past. It's uncomfortable when I'm around Luke because of what he did for, against me. And he probably doesn't want to be around me anyway. Don't we? Don't we justify it like that? And it makes perfect sense. But the breach exists nonetheless. The relationship is torn down and there's not the flow of the Spirit between us because of that root of bitterness. Another sign that there is bitterness or unforgiveness in us is that the other person's sin looks bigger than my sin. And I'm talking about a specific situation. We often think of, of these things in terms of a specific incident. And we look at the incident and we say, the way they treated me was disproportionate to my response. They were worse than I in that situation. 
that is a sign of bitterness. Because God wants us to step back, step away from that situation and say, see my sin and how massive the sin that God has forgiven me for. How can I withhold forgiveness? That's the only way we can really forgive is when we see what we have been forgiven. When we receive the forgiveness of God. So how, if we see bitterness in our lives, how do we overcome it? It's been one of the most difficult things for me to overcome in my life. Of, of everything that I've battled against, this has been like the monster that... Have you experienced that where you try to forgive someone and you say you forgive them and then it comes up again the next day in your mind and like you have to do it again? And finally you're like, I don't know if I've forgiven them or not. Why does this keep coming back up? The first thing we have to do is recognize the bitterness. Because if we don't recognize it, we can't work through it. It it won't be exposed to our own minds, to our own hearts. So we just need to ask God, God, is there someone that I'm bitter against? Maybe you know. Maybe there's someone that comes to your mind right away. Maybe there's not. But maybe you are carrying a bitter spirit and have no idea. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to reveal this to us. So ask Him, God, is there anything, is there any bitterness in me? Is there anyone that I'm holding something against? Is there anyone that I'm refusing to forgive? He'll show us. Maybe it's a parent who hurt you, or a sibling that you don't get along with, or a son or daughter. Because they didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. Or because they hurt you. After all that you poured into their life, they just struck back, bit your hand. Maybe it's a church leader. Or an entire church or group of people. It's not always an individual. Sometimes it's an entire demographic. It might be old people or young people. I was bitter toward old people for a long time. Maybe there's an entire group of people that you're bitter against. We're often most easily embittered toward people who we expect to be role models in our lives. We expect them to be, to be perfect. We hold them to that standard, and then when they let us down, we easily become embittered. Particularly toward church and church leaders. More so than toward unbelievers from whom we expect to see the works of the flesh. So maybe you have bitterness against an entire group of people. Remember 12 angry men? Remember the old man dead set on sending this young boy to the electric chair? Remember why? Is because he was bitter against young people. He saw nothing but rebellion and evil in them because of the way his son had hurt him. So bitterness can target people that are not at all responsible for the, for the wound that we carry. Or for the initial place where that hurt came into our lives it can easily become targeted at people who have no fault in it whatsoever so when we see the bitterness or the lack of forgiveness whether it's toward a person or a group of people what do we do with it like anything else we need to just recognize it say god this this exists in me i see bitterness you're showing it to me 
I see that I haven't forgiven this person. And sometimes you need to be brutally honest about why. You just speak it out. It can be particularly difficult to confess bitterness because it involves someone else. Sometimes we don't want to bring them up and, and hurt them in the process. Sometimes we might need to actually go and speak to them about it. In doing so, we're going to hurt them even more. But oftentimes it's going to be what it takes. Not always. You might not, maybe the person is completely oblivious to what happened and you don't need to go bring it up. But sometimes you're going to need to just go tell them, hey, what you said really hurt me. Right? The way you've treated me really hurt me. And I, I've been holding bitterness against you. And I want to release that. But be careful because sometimes confession can turn into just contributing to the bitterness. Our, our venting turns into something where we're trying to set that person in, in their place. Believe. Believe God's promises. Believe that vengeance belongs to God. That every sin, every wrongdoing will be brought to justice. Either on the cross or in hell. We don't need to add anything to it. Believe that if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Don't be that man, that woman that says, I'll be fine even though I don't forgive, even though I harbor this little bit of unforgiveness. And then act. We're going to have to, when we're walking through this process of releasing, there are specific actions that we can take. Pulling down thoughts and imagination that oppose the knowledge of God. That's a really important part of the process. When those arguments start up in your mind, shut them down. You have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. That's why we have the Spirit. is to overcome sin. To live holy like Jesus lived. Only the grace of God can do that in our lives. It's not something that we can accomplish in the power of our flesh. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive. That's an act, that's a specific action. So when you pray, think about it. Is there somebody that I haven't forgiven? This is a specific time when we need to take action and just say, God, I choose to forgive that person. Whoever he brings to your mind, just release them. Forgive. It's an action. Because when you forgive, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you your trespasses. It's an amazing promise. It's one that we want to lay hold of. Unearth what's underneath the surface. Years ago, there was a a sawdust fire, a pallet shop over on Old Mountain Road, I think. And the the volunteer fire department over here, Scotch Irish, we went over, I think, three nights in a row. We spent a, a large part of the night fighting fires. And you would douse these sawdust piles with water until everything was soaked. You could walk over them. Everything felt cool. Not, not really any smoke anymore. We had completely put it out, or so we thought. And the next night they would call again, and the, the pile was just ablaze. Because deep down in the center of that sawdust pile, the process of oxidation, fermentation, 
had actually caused it to light spontaneously, and it was white hot underneath the surface. Finally, after the third night, they had to bring dozers in, and they had to just spread out the pile and let it burn spread out. Sometimes we're just dousing the outside with water, and underneath there's this, this white hot ember that's just going to wait for another chance. So let God spread it out. It's painful. Because see what's down in to be exposed. But it's the only way to find healing. It's the only way to be able to release the people that hurt us. When that's spread out. And we can get to the bottom of it. Seek encounters with Jesus. I heard um, someone at Love Life Greensboro yesterday talk about her... Uh, experience an abortion that she had when she was 22 years old and she talked about the devastation that happened in her own life through that and she made a remark that really caught my attention she said forgiveness is instant but healing takes a lifetime you will never be completely healed until you see jesus face to face and I i thought about that quite a bit it's true our healing will not be complete until we see jesus face to face It's going to be a lifelong process. Forgiveness, yes, that can be instant. But healing takes a lifetime. But we have the promise that when we see Jesus face to face, he's going to reach out personally. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to bring complete healing to all of the damage that has been caused by sins that other people committed against you. And and our own sinful responses to that. He's going to heal all of that. But seek encounters with Jesus. Seek encounters with Jesus. Because he can do so much in just a minute's time. There was a a very painful situation that um, Melissa and I walked through a number of years ago. And we were at our life ever. And there was a conference that we attended where the Holy Spirit just came and ministered to us, I, I still have no idea to this day how. Because a lot of it wasn't even like working through specific things, being really thorough. There was just this healing that he got at a deep level that we couldn't explain. And it included, it included healing some difficult relationships. Uh, one relationship in particular that I thought would probably never be healed It's just like God miraculously brought so much healing. The Holy Spirit can do in a minute in our lives what we cannot accomplish in years. So seek encounters with Jesus. Come to His presence and He wants to heal. He wants to bring healing to those places. So I I don't know what it is in your life Most times the situations that we grapple with for years, nobody really knows in detail. Maybe not, maybe our wife doesn't even understand. But Jesus sees it exactly in vivid detail. He knows exactly what you've been struggling with, what's been difficult to release, and he wants to bring healing to that place. He wants to see release. He wants to see you be able to... to Look at the person that hurt you or the group of people that hurt you 
and say from your heart, I forgive you. I don't hold it against you anymore. And he wants to restore the relationships that have been damaged as a consequence of that, that bitterness and unforgiveness and of those hurts that, that came from the outside. So just pray. and Let's ask God to show us what it is in us that he wants to just unearth and, and bring healing to and, and release. And the Holy Spirit will show us what that is.